Good morning, Midtown. <clears throat> That'll get your attention. I have two brief announcements. <clears throat> well, actually, I have three. The first one is I have good news, but I'm allowed to share it. You ready? Christ is risen. That was, that was a softball pitch right there. It was the best. All right, the first announcement is this week we are going to be participating in a joint Ash Wednesday service with New Life Downtown and New Life Manitou. And that is going to be at 6.30 p.m. at Palmer High School. Uh, the only logistical detail I'm going to make note of right now is that there is not childcare. The service will be roughly an hour long. And if you're wondering why in the world should we go to Ash Wednesday service, it's funny, I'm asking the same question. No, I'm kidding. That, I, I was hoping for a better laugh. Um, one of the theological pillars here in New Life Midtown, we claim to be a charismatic people, an evangelical people, and an ancient historic people. And almost from the beginning of the church's history, Ash Wednesday has been a signifying service to launch the church into the season of Lent. And perhaps some of you are far more, far more familiar with the season of Lent than I am as a, a born Pentecostal. But what I have come to learn about the season of Lent, and therefore Ash Wednesday, which launches us into that season, is that it prepares us for Holy Week. That it prepares us to walk with Jesus through his sufferings. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I want to know him both in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of sharing with Jesus in his sufferings. So as the people of Jesus here in Colorado Springs, one way that we are going to learn how to do that, to be formed into the image of Jesus, is by participating in the Ash Wednesday service. And I, for one, am very excited. I will be leading communion. So I hope to see a number of you there. The other is, uh, this morning, we had one of these things here in our driveway, and uh, Bonnie's car is parked in the garage, my car not so much, we have way too much junk. So we walk out into um, the driveway, and my three-year-old Lucas says, Dad, we have a package, a, a newspaper. Uh, guys, the times have officially changed. Kids don't know what newspapers are. Um, so Eloise says, Dad, can I, br can I bring it in the car so no one steals it? And... I said, absolutely, you can bring it to the car. Well, I got to church today, and Kevin Gutman said, did you notice what was in the newspaper? I said, no, my kids destroyed it in the back seat, so I'm happy to look through it later. He said, well, actually, I wanted to make sure that you knew Thomas Blackshear has a full page. <laughs> Thomas Blackshear, the second I learned this morning also. Thomas did not even know. Uh, so, Kevin, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Thomas, this is yours, just in case you didn't get a package in your driveway this morning. <clears throat> but Thomas, man, we're proud of you. And guys, if you want to learn about Thomas's work, he's an artist who you would never know it from talking to him, but he's a world-renowned artist, and we are so happy to have him in this congregation. Um, I've already said Christ is risen. Oh, I feel my volume declining. All right, I'm going to have to push here, guys. Um, I, I'm going to land this sermon in the same place that I was going to land it in, whether I had 40 minutes or 15. And here's what I feel confident of this morning, that we are going to end our time together 
with, by praying the prayer of confession. And we're going to take our time around the table this morning. I still want to set up some things that I'm not going to get to go into the details, but I'm going to say, you go read the verses and you go read the words of Jesus. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up where Pastor left off last week in verse 17. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. I'm going to make a few comments about the, the case studies that come following that little passage about the law. And then we're going to come to the table and we're going to pray the prayer of confession. So here are the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is, if, if the Beatitudes are the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, which Pastor Jade has been saying for the weeks that we went through every week, this is the preamble. This is the preliminary statement that gives us a picture, an image of where we're going with Jesus, particularly these disciples who had walked up the mountainside with Jesus. Then this is Jesus' thesis statement. This is what he's about to unpack and he's already imaged for us. That Jesus is saying, guys, I am not coming to give you a new thing altogether. What I'm coming to do is to make what was previously two-dimensional, three-dimensional. I'm coming to show you the ways in which the law and the prophets, you've only been able to see like a 1960s cartoon. But now I want you to see it in the way that it's possible to see the Avengers in IMAX 3D. So Jesus is not coming to give a new story. He's coming to provide new dimension, and we might say embodiment, culmination to the story that has already begun in the people of Israel. So I'm going to tell you three things this morning that Jesus is doing. I'm going to give you a few bullet points on these case studies that Jesus works out, and then I'm going to call us to confess our sins and come to the table. Simple enough. The first thing that Jesus is doing is he's reframing the story of Israel and all of Scripture around himself. Have you ever read the Gospels, particularly in the the Gospel of Mark, and wondered why it's such a big deal that the Pharisees want to kill Jesus because he believes differently about the Sabbath? Have you ever had that thought? Like Jesus really, like plucking a few grains of wheat on the Sabbath or healing someone's arm or healing a blind person, is that really worth them wanting to kill him? Well, it is if you understand that what Jesus is doing is he's actually claiming the the authority of God, his Father. And we read the story now, and we just hear Jesus as a teacher saying, well, this, this is what it really means. But the way that Jesus was doing that said that he was drawing on the authority of God the Father, Yahweh, which to them was heresy. They wanted to kill him. 
But what we learn over and over and over throughout reading the Gospels is that Jesus is reorienting the entire story of Israel around himself. As we sang here at the end of worship, you are worthy of it all. Guys, we only understand but a measure, a small measure of what we actually mean when we say those words. That Jesus, as it says in Revelation 4 and 5, is the only one who is able to open the scroll. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is the embodiment of not just Israel's story, but the whole story of human history. That Jesus comes to reveal what God has always been like. We just couldn't tell because we could only see it in 2D. So now Jesus isn't coming to give us new commands and say, well, these are the things you heard, but actually th those don't really matter that much. No, Jesus comes to say, those things matter immensely more than you ever thought they could matter. And what am I referring to? The passages that follow this, where Jesus talks about anger and murder, and Jesus talks about lust and adultery, and Jesus talks about divorce and giving certificates of divorce and the hardness of heart where he refers to later in Matthew chapter 19. And then he talks about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying that not trespassing these boundaries is good, yes. But you can still be eaten up with sin on the inside and never transgress those boundaries on the outside. And what Jesus' righteousness comes to do is to free us from the sin that eats us up on the inside that we may or may not ever see the manifestation of. So Jesus comes to reorient the whole story of Israel, Scripture, and humanity around himself. The second thing Jesus comes to do is to reunite the law with its giver. Now, this I, I feel a little bit of juice on this. Jesus comes to reunite the law with its giver. That might not feel juicy, but here, here's what this means. The Pharisees had made it their aim to master the law rather than to know God. And this is why they get bent out of shape when Jesus heals a sick person on the Sabbath. And Jesus has to say, do you not know the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? And you would have known this. I, this is my paraphrase, y'all. You would have known this if you really knew the heart of the giver. And this, this, friends, this is one of the temptations of the enemy from the very beginning, is to separate the gift from the giver. To get us to be consumed with the gift, to, to neglect the giver. And this happens with every gift. This is not just the law. This is the gifts of the Spirit. This is Scripture. This is the gift of the church, one another, Christian community. Every gift, this is the initial temptation. Think about back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve in the garden have been told not to touch this tree. And the serpent comes and says, did God really say that? God just doesn't want you to have what he has, which is why he says not to touch it. And here's the thing. We learn in the New Testament, in Corinthians, that there is coming a day when we will see Jesus and we will be like him as he is. That everything that God has given to Jesus, he intends to give to us. The enemy was taking what was true and twisting it. God wants to give us those things, but he wants them to flow from himself. 
And the lie of the enemy is to get us to want the things of God without wanting God. That is the ultimate distortion, to cut off the gift from the giver. And this is what had happened with the law, that the the scribes and the Pharisees had become so consumed with the law that they were no longer concerned with the heart of the one who gave the law, and therefore they missed the intention of the law. Because the life that comes through the law only comes through the giver. And when you cut off the gift from the giver, you lose the power of the life that the gift can give. And friends, there is no limit to this. This is true of this meal. This is true of singing and being in moments like we were just in. There are ways in which we can become enraptured with the things of God and not care about God himself at all. And I think it's one of the greatest dangers we could ever be in. So Jesus comes to reunite the law with the giver of the law. Jesus essentially says, this is the way it's always been. These things I'm teaching have always been embedded in the law if you had only known the heart of the one who gave it. Number three, Jesus reveals the kind of righteousness that the law was intended to bring about. Jesus doesn't replace the commandments. He intensifies them. He reveals their breadth and their depth and the way that they were actually intended to free us to love God with our whole minds, our bodies, our minds, our souls, our strength, and to relate to one another with purity. And Jesus goes on to say in the passages that follow this, that it is possible to not murder someone and be eaten up with anger, that it is possible never to cross the boundary of sexual adultery, but to be eaten up with lust on the inside. That it is possible to not divorce your spouse, but to have a hardened heart and wish you were. The law that Jesus comes to give, the righteousness that is, quote-unquote, greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, comes to free us so that we can live freely in purity with one another and love God with our whole hearts, our whole minds, and all of our strength. I was reflecting, uh, it came to my mind a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was two Sundays ago, I was leading the pre-service meeting, and just a couple minutes before the meeting, Romans 12.2 came to mind. It's not going to be on the screen, I didn't tell these guys, unless they're amazing, in which it might be on the screen. (laughs) No, they're amazing nonetheless, whether they get it or not. But Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I started to think and ruminate on the difference between being conformed and transformed. Being conformed is like Play-Doh being over a mold. It's chameleon-like. You can be conformed to the patterns of this world and it not really affect the essence of a thing. Anything, whatever the thing is. Our patterns of behavior, Play-Doh, whatever, paper mache But to be transformed, two things are true. One, it happens from the inside out, from the essence of the thing. And two, in in our case, it cannot happen on our own. It can only happen when we are, like I just mentioned, attached in communion to the giver of the gift. Paul says, 
Don't be conformed to anything, even good things like the law. Don't be conformed into even good church-going Christian people who live in Colorado Springs. That's not what we're called to be. We're not called to be good church-going people who follow all the rules and do all the right things. That's not enough. We are being called to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which only happens by the power of the Spirit from the inside out. I'm tempted right now just to take a moment and come to the table. We may do that. Jesus goes on, and as I've mentioned a few times, he talks about anger and murder, and he talks about lust, and he talks about adultery, and he talks about divorce, and he talks about all of these things in ways that are opening up new dimensions to what those who are hearing him in these moments had seen, heard, and understood for centuries. And I want to say, I'm not going to go and read all of these texts right now, but I do believe that one of the things God has for us, for so many of you in this place, is to learn how to receive forgiveness for the sins that we have either transgressed outward boundaries or just allowed to live unchecked in our hearts, whether in our marriage, whether in our thought life, whether in our emotional lives. Friends, it's not enough to just come in here and be moved by the Spirit in moments and then leave unchanged. And it's not all going to happen at once. Most of the time it will not. I do believe that incredibly powerful things can happen in moments at the altar. And in just a moment, we're going to come forward. We're going to pray. We're going to receive the elements. And these altar ministers are going to stay in place and be willing to pray with you for whatever it is that you're dealing with today. But sometimes there are these deep-seated things from our past that get stuck in our hearts. And Jesus is saying the law, the power of the Spirit through the law, wants to touch and transform your hearts. Not just to reprimand you when you do these terrible things, but so that you can see the brokenness of your own humanity to see your dependence on God, to see the ways in which you need the people around you, to see the ways in which your heart is hardened and you alone can't do anything about it. You need the power of the Spirit to come in and to soften and tenderize your hearts. So, Seth, if you would come, I want us to take just a couple of minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to, in whatever way we might need, reattach the gifts to the giver. God, our hearts so often betray us, confuse us. We don't know where we're being sincere and where we're being insincere. We think we are, and sometimes you let us see that. But so often, Lord, we are easily misguided by our own hearts. And I pray that in these coming moments, as we pray prayers of confession, as we come forward to the table, I pray that you would remind us that the heart of your Father, who is now our Father, has always been to free us from the roots of sin that enter in, and if we don't weed them out like seeds, 
they will blossom into full-on trees of sinfulness in our own lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us. You never condemn us, but I pray that you would convict us of the sins and the wounds and the places that need healing in our own hearts and our own lives. That you would help us to learn how to receive forgiveness. A few different ways that I think we can partner with this work of the Holy Spirit, some of which will happen in this moment, some of which will happen later today and in the weeks, months, and years to come. One, friends, I want to encourage you to regularly examine your heart. Regularly examine your heart. This can look like stillness and solitude, silence before the Lord. It can look like journaling. It can look like deep conversations with your spouse. It can look like pausing after you do something sinful and saying, God, I don't know why I did that. Can you show me? Can you show me what is inside of me? It can look like being in moments like this, where the gospel is being preached, where songs about Jesus and his Father's goodness are being sung, and sitting in the presence of the Lord and saying, God, would you show me what I cannot see in this moment? Regularly examine your hearts. The second thing is get all the help you can. One of the things I am very passionate about is that this faith that we have all been brought into is a communal faith. That we need one another. We need those of you who have walked with Jesus 40, 50, and 60 years. And those of you who have need to be around those who have walked with Jesus for six months and one year and two years to remind you of what it's like what it was like when Jesus came and changed you. Guys, we need each other. We also, at times, need professional help. We need therapists and counselors and psychologists in the same way that we need medical doctors and nurses and physical therapists. We need pastors. We need elders. We need those who can help us see because sometimes, even in our most sincere moments, we can't tell what is inside of us. And we can't always rightly discern what God is doing in us. And lastly, the last way that I think we can partner and participate with the work of the Spirit is to confess our sins, to throw our lives on the mercy of Jesus, and receive his forgiveness. Remember that the same Jesus who gives those very difficult, difficult, demanding words with regards to anger and lust and divorce. The same Jesus that gives those words is the same Jesus who breathes out in his last moments on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There are those of you in this moment who do have a difficult journey with anger or with lust or maybe You are either a product of divorce or you have been through a divorce yourself. And these are very, very real, difficult, demanding things. 
And Jesus takes them very seriously. But friends, the biggest lie of the enemy is that you are beyond hope, that you are useless to God, that you'll never get beyond it, that your life will never amount to anything substantive or substantial because of that sin, that struggle, past or present, in your life. And I want to remind you that Jesus also says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is the merciful one. Friends, let us stand and pray this prayer of confession as we come to the table. And let's pray it slowly. And I would ask that you would posture your hands outward like this, offering all that you are, good, bad, known, and unknown to the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, Jesus Christ and his Father, the Lord God, the people of Israel, forgives you. Now let us come to the table of the Lord and receive of his bountiful gifts. Exit out the left side of your row. Receive the elements. Go back to your seats, and then we will partake together in just a moment.